wonderful to see everyone. And I'd love to see your smiling faces. But I can still tell when you smile because your eyes go like this. So I can tell. Give me a big smile. Come on, someone. All right. Heather's smiling. Mark, you just started smiling. Okay, that's good. Addison, he smiles. His eyes go up. So that, that, there you go. Anyway, let's go to the book of Isaiah. I just read from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 22, starting at verse 15, and says, This is what the Lord, the Lord of heaven's army, said to me. Confront Shebna, the palace administrator, and give him this message. Who do you think you are? <laughs> I mean, could you imagine guys walking into church? I said, God has a message for you. And you look at me and I said, who do you think you are? That's how he starts. He says, and what are you doing here building a beautiful tomb for yourself? A monument high up on the rock. For the Lord is about to hurl you away, mighty man. He's going to grab you, crumple you into a ball, and toss you away into a distant barren land. Then you will die, and your glorious chariots will be broken and useless. You are a disgrace to your master. Well, good morning. How is that for an opening text on a Sunday morning? This morning, I want to talk about this. It's not time to plan your funeral. It's not time to plan your funeral. God, we are so thankful and grateful to have an open facility that we can gather together, worship you, sing songs of praise unto you. We can see one another's face, and God, if we're comfortable, we can shake hands or bump elbows. We, we're still just as much the body of Christ today as we've ever been. As a matter of fact, it's even more needed today. So I'm thankful for every man, woman, child who are both here present and for those who are watching online who are not yet back. God, we are thankful for the body of Christ, and we're thankful that we can read passages like we did this morning in worship and be reminded of who you are, how powerful you are, and how amazing you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the prophet Isaiah was called by God to speak prophecies of judgment against several nations of that day. If you look back in Isaiah, you'll find in the 13th chapter, it's a message to Babylon. In the 14th chapter, it's a message to Assyria and Philistia. In the 15th chapter, it's a message to Moab. 17th chapter, a message to Damascus and Israel. In 18th chapter, a message to Ethiopia. This guy was getting his frequent, frequent flyer miles in. In the 19th chapter, a message to Egypt. In the 21st chapter, another message to Babylon. They needed two, I guess. Sometimes we all do, right? 22nd chapter, a message to Jerusalem. And then in the 23rd chapter, a message to Tyre. By including a prophecy against Judah and Jerusalem in the midst of all the prophecies to pagan nations, Isaiah is emphasizing that Israel, your identity as God's people, will not protect you from God's punishment once you sin against me. And so pagan nations at that time, they were serving false gods, sacrificing children, involving themselves in sexual sin and much more. And instead of coming out and being separate from them, Judah starts to 
kind of reflect them and starts to practice some of the same things they were practicing. Matter of fact, I was reading a story about how when there was reform in Israel at one time, it took them like eight months to clean everything out to get to the door of the temple. Don't ever let so much stuff in your life that you don't have a clear path to the door of the temple. And instead of coming out and being separate from them, they are doing this. And so in the 22nd chapter of Isaiah, God has Isaiah turn his prophetic warnings to the southern kingdom, the nation of Judah. And look at the picture that Isaiah starts to paint in Isaiah 22. It says, the whole city is in a terrible uproar. That sounds so familiar. What do I see in this reveling city? Bodies are lying everywhere, killed not in battle, but by famine and disease. All your leaders have fled. They're surrendered without resistance. My goodness, I never want to surrender without resistance. I'm talking in a spiritual realm. I never want to surrender to the enemy without resistance. And it says, the people tried to slip away, but they were captured too. That's why I said, leave them me alone to weep. Do not try to comfort me. Let me cry for my people as I watch them being destroyed. This message addresses the Assyrian siege that came upon Judah in 701 BC. And eventually, just 115 years later, Judah would be completely destroyed in 586 BC by the Babylonians. They would cease to be a nation. And so... Uh, 7.22 for the northern kingdom and 5.86 for the southern kingdom. Israel is the only nation in the history of the world to be completely dispersed to the four, four corners of the earth, disbanded, not being a nation. But then May 15, 1948 becomes the only nation in the history of the world to be born again. Could you imagine being dispersed for, for just all these years? Because then they were destroyed in 70 AD. And... To, to, to keep your identity, your language, your culture, and come again as a nation. And so, Isaiah's prophesying about this, and as the people of Judah prepared for the next battle, they spent their time looking around at what they can do. What can we do? What can we do to prepare? What can we do to ensure victory? And they never seemed to turn to God. Isaiah 22, 8 says, Judah's defenses have been stripped away. You run to the armory for weapons. He says, you inspect the breaks of the walls. So they're running to the armory for weapons. They're checking their walls. They're looking, checking it out. Don't look too hard on this. I helped install this so it was not done by professionals. So there's definitely cracks in the walls and I won't throw the other people under the bus who helped me, who could have the name Jim Hamilton and James Chester. But I, 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 I just, I'm not going not to throw those names under the bus. But, but if you inspect, you'll see some of the cracks here in the, in the walls. And they were, they were doing their inspections. And, and so they're looking around and you, you store up water in the lower pool, preparation got to have water if you're going to go into a war, and especially if city walls, they could surround you and you don't have water and they cut off your water supply. So let's plan ahead, have water. Let's survey the houses and tear some down for stone to strengthen the walls. Between the city walls, you build a reservoir for water from the old pool. Man, they are doing everything they can to prepare for this battle. But 
You never ask for help from the one who did all of this. You never considered the one who planned this long ago. I'm all for preparation. If you know me, you know I'm all for preparation. I think we should be prepared. Ready. Organized. Matter of fact, it was so far beyond my norm and my comfort zone when my family went. Normally, I'm planning a vacation like a year in advance. And we like to take an annual trip. And I, my wife came home one day and I said, honey, I booked us a place. We're going to South Dakota. I can still cancel it if you don't want to go. I said, but we're going to be leaving. She said, well, what are we going to be doing? I said, well, I was looking online, and I found a blog mom. A blog mom said, here's a guide to a vacation in South Dakota with young children. So I literally followed blog mom's advice. <laughs> That's all I did. I said, where can we get outdoors and not wear masks? And in South Dakota was one state. I said, we're going to South Dakota. And so we stayed out, outdoors, don't worry, I still social distanced, I still kept my distance, I wasn't hugging and kissing people, other than my family. But, uh, so we got to South Dakota, and, and uh, I just followed blog mom's advice. And actually, someone else from our friends from California were passing through, so we hooked up with them. They said, well, what do you have planned? I said, well, I said, there's this blog mom, they started laughing at me, just like you're laughing at me. But it was an amazing trip. Like, we had no agenda. We just hung outside and camped and played and looked at things, saw some stone faces on a mountain. It was, it was great. I like to be organized, but every once in a while, it's good to just step back and just relax. We had our family trip there. But when all we do is focus on what we can do, forgetting also what he can do, we leave ourselves open to the enemy. Well, I got my water supply. I've, I've checked for cracks in the walls. I've went to the armory. We're set. Bring it on. Hold it. You've done a lot of preparation, but what about the one who controls all of this? Everything in their city, hear me, everything in their city was inspected except their hearts. What happens when we as God's people do our due diligence and we inspect everything around for safety and preparation, but we miss, we miss inspecting our own hearts. This passage ends with, you never consider the one who planned this long ago. God always has a plan. He always, always he never reaches a one moment of one day where he's caught off guard, surprised. He didn't see that coming. He, he has to try and call the angels and get an emergency meeting. He never reaches that point. He always has a plan. And notice that sometimes his plan will include things that are very uncomfortable to his people. Because he wants his people sometimes when they're just coasting along in life. I loved what Brother Gleason said last week. When he said, his wife said, what's wrong? He said, that's the problem. There's nothing wrong. <laughs> sometimes we just get to coasting. Woo! This Christian race, I thought I'd be crawling more. This is going well. 
But then all of a sudden, something happens in our life, in our world, that causes us to go, my God, help me. I went to the armory, and I'm still not prepared. I checked the walls, and I'm still not prepared. I got my water supply, and I'm still not prepared. And God says, that's because you missed the most important preparation in your life. That was inspecting your own heart. It was coming to me, the one who has the plan. It's in my plan, in all of my plan, is to try to get your attention back to who I am. And God's people will run to our weapons, inspect our walls, fortify ourselves, prepare for our future. Or we can turn to God and say, what's your perfect plan? I want to be a part of it. There's nothing wrong with Judah taking precautionary measures to ensure their safety. But when they do, they, when they put all their efforts in what they can do and somehow forget about what God can do, they find out that no amount of personal preparation, no amount of safeguard can protect them like the God of heaven and earth. Even during a time of a pandemic, I may take precautionary measures and inspect safety procedures, but I refuse to live in fear. Again, I will tell you, there has not been one moment, not one second, that I have feared throughout this pandemic. And that's not because, like, I'm arrogant or I'm not respecting the fact that this is real. It's just that God does all things well. Yeah, but what if your family got it? I'm sure it would be difficult. What if you got it? What if your child got it? It would be agonizing, I'm sure. But God is the one who controls all. God is the one who sees all, knows all, does all things well. He has a plan, and so I walk in that, and I will not live in fear. Because there are so many times where the Bible says, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. I never see a time, unless we're living completely outside of God's realm of his will, and we're disobeying, and we're not living in covenant. I never see a time where God tells his children, you know what, now's the time to fear. No matter what circumstance happens, God never speaks to his children and says, it's time to be afraid. Every time an angel shows up, they're like, fear not, fear not, fear not. And, the, and, and there's a reminder that follows about who they are. Fear not, Mary, blessed art thou among women. Fear not, fear not, fear not. There's always a fear not, let me remind you who you are. Fear not, you're a child of the king. Fear not, you're filled with his spirit. Fear not, you, you, you serve an everlasting powerful God. Fear not, well yeah, but what about death? Fear not, because this is not our home. Fear not, because eternity's on the horizon. Fear not, we're about to hear a trumpet sound real soon. Fear not, we're going to walk on streets of gold. Fear not, Jesus Christ is going to be the light of this city. Fear not, we're going to live forever with believers. We're going to get to discuss things with Moses and Paul. Fear not, there's going to be no more crying, no more sorrow, no more death. That's what I look forward to. Sometimes we get so consumed with the things in this earth that we get a temporary mindset instead of an eternal mindset. That's why even at funerals, yes, we're going to miss that person. That person's going to be gone. Oh, the, I'm going to miss that interaction. But they have received their reward. Comfort one another with these words, Paul says. So I can genuinely say, even if death itself comes, I am not afraid. Just the tension in here based on what I just said tells me not everybody's feeling that same way. This world is not my home. Our lives are but a vapor. 
So why am I going to get consumed with a vapor of smoke when I have eternity on the horizon? Why am I going to get so frustrated and bothered about what's going on right here, right now, when I know that I want to make sure I'm ready, my family's ready, as many people in my life and world are ready so that we can spend eternity together in the thing that really matters. Come on, church. I thought somebody would, somebody's got to have that mindset. And by the fact that it's that quiet, I need to preach this more often. I need to start doing a seven-week series on heaven. <clears throat> maybe, maybe it's my fault. Maybe we're so focused on what's going on here because we're not hearing enough about what is coming on the horizon. And so God never condemns those. That's not to say any of these things about preparation are sin. They're not sinful. I can't say a, a gun, a mask, a fortified wall. Lord knows I cannot say a gun is sinful in Missouri. Not sinful. A mask, a fortified wall, preparation, whatever you want to do. These aren't sinful. But God never condemns those things in Isaiah. He simply calls to the people saying, you're doing these things, but you're not consulting me. And this past week, like I say, my family and I returned from our annual vacation. My wife and I, as we, as, we, as we came back, even before we got back, we immediately were met with what we felt was a, a spiritual battle, and we went into an extended fast. And I'm sensing right now, overall, that in the church there is fear. Not just this church. I'm talking about the global church. There's just fear. Fear, not only over the pandemic and coronavirus, but what happens is when the spirit of fear can get in, it starts to work its way into all kinds of other different places. It doesn't just stay in the fear of the pandemic. It's the fear of my job. It's the fear of my future. It's the fear of financial security. It's the fear of, of where should I go to school? Should I send my kids to school? What if I go to school? What if I don't graduate? What if I, what if, what if I get this there? What if, and so the fear starts to operate. What if, what, if, what, if, what if our religious freedoms are taken? What if we can't have church again? What if? And so we start to do all these what ifs in fear that came in in one way. It's a spirit that, that can start to all of a sudden overtake every area of your life where you're actually afraid for finances, you're afraid for relationships, you're afraid for school, you're afraid for your future, you're afraid for your church, you're afraid for your ministry, and, and, you, and, and all of a sudden fear is overtaking you. And so specifically, we just began to fast and pray on the spirit of fear because it's trying to make its way into all of our lives in all different circumstances and ways. And like I preached two weeks ago with King Jehoshaphat, he called for Israel to return to four things. Prayer, fasting, word, worship. Prayer, fasting, word, worship. Because you want to combat fear, you will always combat fear. Prayer, fasting, word, worship. Because it's an interaction with God. It's a denial of flesh and reminding your flesh that he is God. Word reminds you what I just read this morning, who's in control. And worship exalts him for that control. That as you do these things over and over, if you are struggling, you will always find that there's one of those four components missing from your life. If you're struggling, there's always one. It's going to be prayer, fasting, word, worship. One of those four things will always be missing. Prayer, fasting, word, worship. And so I thought, you know what? Get ready for it. Here it comes. 
What do we do once a quarter? What have we not done in too long? It's time for a fast. It's time for when the fear starts to make its way into the church, the church needs to respond. Because you know what? When fear makes its way into the church, the church can either, either do this or the church can go, oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> hold it, hold it. Devil, you walk through these doors into the house of the Most High God? You came to address a spirit-filled believer who has the Holy Spirit of God Almighty who holds the world, the whole earth like a grain of sand, and you're trying to tell me to be afraid of my present and my future? No, 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 no. Let me remind you who you are. Hell was created for you and not for me. I have an eternal hope. You don't. And I'm going to walk in that eternal power I know who I am. I know what I've been called to do. And so guess what? For the next three days, five days, seven days, whatever you can do, I'm fixing to fast. And I'm going to pray. And I'm going to get my face in the word. Because you know what? I'm going to remind this flesh about the hope that I have. And I'm going to fight back against you. Because you know what? We sometimes we go, well, what if? What about that? What about that? I don't know about this. I don't know my finances. My job said this. I might face layoff. Uh, they might take my, I might have to dip into retirement. I don't know where to send my kids to school. I don't know. What if they make us stop worshiping? What if, what if, just stop. Yes, I'll be cautious. Yes, the coronavirus is real. Yes, I'll be careful. But I will not live in fear. Why? Because my provider is not my employer. My provider is not the person I work for. My provider says, if you will trust me, if you will put me first, if you will be faithful to me, I will prove myself to you. Just put some trust and confidence in me. And, and I serve a God who says, well, if someone gets sick, the prayer of the faithful can, can heal the sick. I trust a God who has gifts to the Spirit. And, and, and I, we can lay hands on one another. I trust a God who tells me stories about cutting off pieces of handkerchiefs and sending them with people. And those people were getting healed. So you can believe, I am not afraid. I'm not afraid about any of it. Well, yeah, but your son's type 1 and autoimmune disease and he, yep, you better believe that. And I still can say, my God knows, my God knows, and so I do not walk in fear. Why? How can I possibly glorify my God when I'm telling someone, come to my church, serve my God, and they watch me every day freaking out? No, 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 no. I'm going to walk and say, listen, devil, I felt fear. I felt fear in my house. I felt fear in the church. So I'm going to sit there and cower in a corner. We're fixing to have a fast so that this church can bind together and unify back up, that we can come back in unity and mindset and purpose and say, you know what? Fear will not enter this community. Fear will not enter this church. Fear will not be welcome here. We're going to have worship services unlike we have ever had before. We're going to have moves of God unlike we have ever had before. People are going to feel tangible spirit of God when they watch on the live stream. I pray to God that if you're watching on this live stream that you feel something right 
now because God's speaking to his people and God wants to speak to you right now. I'm telling you, I'm looking at these cameras and I'm saying God wants to speak to you. God wants to meet you right where you are. If you're not here as a precaution, that's fine, but don't live in fear. God's got you. Don't worry about the job. Don't worry about the retirement. Don't worry about the finances. Don't worry about the health. Be cautious but not fearful. And so you know what, church? Do whatever you can in the next two weeks. That's what we always do because I know sometimes people have plans and stuff. You got a family barbecue plan and, you know, it would be messed up right now for me to say, Jake and Brittany, I call you to a fast on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. That would be messed up. You know, they're getting married. So, But you want to, if you're going anywhere on a honeymoon or something, you want to fast like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Get it out of the way. But... For some of you, two, three-day fast, you're beyond that. Might be time for a seven-day fast. Now, some of you are going, dear Lord, that is crazy. There ain't no way. But others of you, something's going something's to kind of switch in your spirit where all of a sudden you go, oh, man. You didn't really like the way you felt when I said that because you felt God unction you to do it. And your flesh is going, no! Yeah. But what we ask for, three days, that does not mean, as I always explain, three-day fast does not mean, like I say, for me, I, I fasted refried beans. Listen, I've been fasting refried beans for years. I broke that fast once at Michelle's house. She got me. Almost thou persuadest me to be a refried beans eater, as uh, Agrippa said to Paul. Almost thou persuadest me. I tried them again on this trip. Because our friends from California were making fun of me. So I gave in to peer pressure. I mixed them in with some rice. I swallowed them. I had three forkfuls. So I'm good. Now I don't have to eat refried beans for another decade. So me fasting refried beans is not a thing, okay? So whatever you, your fast should be something that throughout your day, your body is saying, your body is pouting and whining and throwing fits. For most of you, Many of you, that's a water-only fast or a fruit juice fast. This whole like, well, I fasted media. Well, that's fine, but some of you, that's weak. You're beyond fasting media. Your body at lunchtime, well, it's just so not good because when I fast, I don't feel that energetic or... <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, I, it, it's, your body should not be like, fasting's fine. <laughs> it's a reminder that you're telling your flesh, you are trying to speak to me. You think you're in control, and you're not. And so I'm taking dominion back in fasting as I draw near and begin to hear God's voice. It is amazing. My wife and I going on this extended fast, it is amazing that God, you start to hear with such clarity his voice. All of a sudden, you start identifying things in your life that there's just a little bit too much commotion sometimes around us. That when you go on a fast, all of a sudden, you're praying, you're reading the word, and you're starting to sense things and see things and feel things. Because God, there's no doubt he's always speaking. But sometimes we have to get the commotion out of the way so that we get our focus back on what he's saying. I always give this example. It would be like if I was saying right now to Brother Tim here, 
Do you have any clue what I'm saying? No. But if I say exact same decibel, exact same decibel. What I say? Did I go to work this week? Did I go did you go to work this week is what I said. I said the exact same thing, the exact same decibel from up there. But fasting kind of just allows me to get in a little bit closer. And he's speaking the same way, the same words, but now all of a sudden I'm able to zero in just a little bit on what those words are. And God's calling this church sometime. I'll remind you the next three, four services. If you could, in the next three days, give up something. And don't just give it up. That's, we're not on a blood, we're not, you're not getting ready for blood work. If you fast and be like, oh, I just fasted. You said don't eat, right? No, don't eat. Get in the word. Pray. You have spiritual meals. Because otherwise you're just on a hunger strike and that doesn't do anything. And so I'm asking you to join. Because why? I'm not interested in only the things we can do. I am interested more in the things that my God can do. And I believe that God is getting ready something. There's something stirring in the atmosphere. There's something, and you know what started stirring? It was a demonic presence. It was, a, it was an enemy. It was, it was an attack on the church. But right now, when the church rises up, the demons flee, and all of a sudden, it opens the door for what God is getting ready to do. It opens the door for, for the spirit to be poured out. I'm telling you, come on, church. You got to believe me. You got to, and, and when you go on your fast, you're going to hear these words, and you're going to believe me more than you do right now. Because it's, there's something stirring. And, and I'm not saying that fasting changes, our, our, our situation changes in fasting. Because God always has a plan. And I am fasting so that fear will be gone. So that the attention of the church will be more on the power than it is on the problem. There's certainly a battle going on in the spiritual realm. But be, just because there is a battle doesn't mean you should plan your funeral. But there's a battle. It's over. Where's going to be my burial plot? I knew I should have taken that guy up when he said, you can buy a burial plot for today for 50% off. I knew I should have done it. I saw a coffee mug the other day that said, I miss precedented times. Some of you didn't get that. These are unprecedented times. Everybody hear that lately? It's just all over. So now people are starting to say, you know what, I, I forget that. I miss precedented times. And if we're not careful, we start worrying and looking inward. What can we do? It's time to stop that, to take whatever precautionary measures you deem necessary, but do not live in fear. Do not turn to every precautionary measure out there and forget that we serve the God who knows all, does all, controls all, sees all, has a plan. See, at this time, the people who were inside the palace here in Judah, the leaders of the nation, people who were decision makers, influencers, like some of you in this local church, in this community, your decision makers, your leaders, your influencers, they, they, they were living in fear. They were only looking inward. No wonder the entire nation was struggling, just like the church. If the leaders of the church live in fear, the church will live in fear. If the people in the palace, the influencers live in fear, the nation's in fear. And look at the example set forth, Isaiah twenty-two fifteen. This is what the Lord of heaven's army said to me. Confront Shebna. We just read this. He says, tell him, who do you think you are? What are you doing here? Building a beautiful tomb for yourself, a monument high on the rock. I hate, I hate coughing in public now. 
and I'm shouting. And I had a week off from shouting, so my voice is weak. The palace administrator is not leading the charge to repent. The palace administrator is not leading the charge to turn toward God. The palace administrator is not saying, trust him, he's powerful. Instead, Shebna is planning his own funeral. Oh, we got enemies everywhere. Things are looking bleak. Things are looking bad. So you know where I'm going to put my energy? Oh, God, we need you right now. I'm going to put my energy. You know what? That's a beautiful rock. I think I'll be remembered for a long. Let's start building it. I want my funeral up there. Here's, here's what I wanted to say. Hang on. Hold the banner over there. No, I want a different type of rock. No, 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 no. I want to, that. No, hew that a little bit different. I'd like the gate. I'd like this, the gate to be here and the stone opening kind of be over here and the guy is planning his own funeral, putting his burial high on the rock, his tomb. What kind of state of mind does that speak to the society? When the, when the leaders of the church, the children of God, one moment are saying, God is powerful, we serve the most high God. And the next moment they're saying, the world is ending, we're all going to die, plan your funeral now. Hear me when I say, the church will not die. God's power will not die. You are not going to die. There is certainly a battle, as I said before, but just because there's a battle doesn't mean we plan our own funeral. Shebna apparently just gives up, assumes he's going to die at the hands of the Assyrians or maybe the upcoming Babylonians, so he begins to plan this ostentatious burial place. He was building a beautiful tomb that was intended to be lavish, to last for, for centuries. Instead of caring more about the future of God's name, he was more concerned about his own name. And let me tell you, when you took on the name, you became the bride of Christ. You joined, you were the bridegroom, you were the, the bride to the bridegroom. And when you took on that name, you now said... I am more interested about pushing forward his name than I am my own name. And at a time when God wanted his people to turn toward him, they continued to turn inward. Instead of focusing on the future God had for them, they were worrying about their own future. It was God's perfect plan. He knows the past, the present, and the future. And when, when we really truly believe God knows the past, present, and future, then we really don't struggle to trust an unknown future to a known God. Isaiah twenty two nineteen says, yes, I will drive you out of office, says Lord. I will pull you down from your high position. Then I'm going to call my servant. Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, to replace you. I will dress him in your royal robes and will give you your title, him your title and authority. He will be a father to the people of Jerusalem and Judah. I will give him the key to the house of David, the highest position in the royal court. When he opens the doors, no one will be able to close them. When he closes the doors, no one will be able to open him. This is, wow. He will bring honor to his family name, for I will drive him firmly in a place like a nail in the wall. They will give him great responsibility, and he will bring honor even to the lowest members of his family. God sends Isaiah in with a strong word of rebuke to Shebna. And instead of trusting God, Shebna looks at the power 
of his situation rather than the power of his God. The power of his situation rather than the power of his God. And I'm just wondering, as I'm closing this up, how many people here today are looking more at the severity, we respect the severity of our situation more than we trust in the power of God. I'm just talking about coronavirus. Like, listen, I understand coronavirus is not the only problem that we all have right now. That's just one thing that it seems like everyone's talking about. But I know that there are things in your life, in your personality, in your mind, that you deal with in your home that, are we trusting more in the severity of the situation more than we do in the power of our God? How many of us are planning our own funerals and preparing a grave for our dreams rather than speaking to our situation and reminding ourselves and our enemy who our God is? Hold it, hold it. Where'd that thought come from? Hang on. Who do you think you are? You are not going to walk in my home and scare me in my own home. You're not going to scare me at Walmart. You're not going to scare me in a grocery store. You're not going to scare me at a restaurant. You're not going to scare me here. You're not going to scare me when my kids go to you're not. I'm not going to live in fear. I don't know who you think you are. I am a child of the Most High God, and fear is not going to run rampant in my church. I'm not going to live in fear. I'm not going to be afraid. I am I am literally, I took on his name in the waters of baptism. I am the bride of Christ. I don't know, I don't know many guys. Like, like you can go ahead and say things about me. You could say, I hate your tie. You stink as a preacher. Why do you sing occasionally? It's terrible. I don't like your shoes. Your truck is ridiculous. Like, dude, say whatever you want. You say something about my bride. That might not scare you because I'm not a real big guy. <laughs> but I promise you it makes me feel good. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to die trying. I'm going to die trying. Chris has seen me on the basketball court. He'll tell you he ain't big, but he'll fight. Okay? I'm going to die trying, mess with my bride, and I'm going to knock you out. Okay, that see, this is this is what happens. We're, we're the bride of Christ. You think Jesus is just going to sit around and watch his bride? Oh, look, my bride's scared. Oh, look, my bride is going through some things. <laughs> look at my bride. You better not. No, 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 no. The only way that fear can run rampant in our hearts is when we allow it because Jesus says, you ain't going to touch my bride. And when the bride says, Jesus, I need you. I need you to step into my situation. Jesus, you better believe he's going to be there and say, get lost. Don't even think you're going to touch my bride. I bought that person with my blood. That person took on my name in the waters of baptism. I put my spirit inside that person. So that person is walking. I, as a matter of fact, when Jesus walked the earth, he looked at his people and said, greater things than this will you do. So you know what? I, is it a, a blaspheming to say I'm going to be more powerful than Jesus was when he walked this earth? Not according to his own words. He said, greater things than, than what 
well they do than what I did. I believe that it was the plan of Christ when he went away. He, uh, he, he ascended up into heaven and then he sent his spirit. He wanted his church to do greater and more powerful things. There was never a time that he wanted his church to be scared in the corner, living in fear, wondering about society. Society, the demonic realm, should be wondering, oh no, something's stirring in the church. There's a fast going on. There's some people uniting. There's something happening. And they should be saying, oh, I'm getting scared. There, there, there's something getting stirred up in the house of God. Shebna's devoted. You can stand to your feet. Shebna is demoted because God is not going to have someone in the palace. Shebna's demoted because he is not, God is not going to have someone in the palace who fears the situation more than he fears God. Hear that. If you are going to hold a place of power in the palace... Don't plan your funeral and build a tomb when God is telling you to plan a party because victory is on the horizon. Oh, yes, there's a battle. Oh, yes, absolutely, going on in the spiritual realm. But just because there is a battle does not mean that you plan your funeral. Just because there's a battle does not mean that you think about what you're going to put on your tombstone. Isn't it interesting that the name and lasting legacy that Shebna was looking for for himself and his family is the very thing that God gave his successor, Eliakim. He says, you're looking for all this. You know what I'm going to do for Eliakim? He's going to have the keys to the kingdom of David. Everything he opens, it's going to stay open. He's going to have power and authority unlike anybody's ever had. His name, his lowest family members are going to demand respect for years to come. You know why? Because Shebna, you've been looking for this. You've been focusing so much on your own name, your own work, your own fears, your own future. And you know what? He says, Eliakim, that dude, he, he's serving me. He's seeking my face. And so he's going to get all the things that you had hoped you were going to get. Why? Because it never depends on your situation. It never, serving God never depends on your situation. Serving God, trusting Him, it never depends on what's going on in society. It never depends on what friends or family are doing or saying. When you say, no, my life is yours. God, I focus on you. I seek you. I search for you. I long for you. I love you. I trust you. I, I want to walk in your ways. I want to be sensitive to your spirit, spirit-led in all things. I, that's where God says, all right, that's what I've been looking for. I can trust you. Watch what I'm going to do with your life, with your name, with your future. So what's going to be your legacy? Hear me when I say this. Your legacy will be based. Are you ready? Your legacy will be based on where you put your faith. Your legacy is going to be based on where you put your faith. So right now, where is your focus? What is the thing that is consuming your mind right now? Is it your present circumstance or circumstances? Is it society saying to bury your dreams because it's never going to happen? What about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? And so there's just fear and you're just wondering. You don't know who you are, what you're going to be. What am I called to do? What are you focusing on right now? Or are your dreams just as alive today as they've ever been before?
The enemy can't crush it. The devil can't crush it. Demons can't crush it. Society can't crush it. Uh, a coronavirus can't crush it. Being laid off can't crush it. Losing my retirement can't crush it. Be wondering about school and what they're going to do with school, online, virtual, private, homeschool. None of those things. My dreams, I know who I am. I know what I've been called to do. I'm a child of the King. I'm a bride of Christ. I took on His name. If you mess with me, if you mess with me, Jesus is going to take his suit coat off. He's going to get up in your face. Why? So you know what? I don't have to fear. I don't have to be afraid. If the enemy's there, if the war is raging, it does not matter. It's not time for me to pick out a grave site, uh, choose what's going on my tombstone, plan my own funeral. I got way too much still to do. God's got a plan for me. I serve a great, big, mighty, awesome, powerful God. And so today... I invite you to just find a place to pray at an altar around the sanctuary. Feel free to move around and just begin to remember who it is that I serve, who it is that you serve, the God that you serve, that no matter what you're going through, no matter what your situation is, God's got this. God's got this. His power and His authority are with you. That's why He filled you with His Spirit. If you don't have His Spirit, I'm telling you, you can have that before you leave this place. We can pray with you. You can begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives you the utterance. God wants you to be filled with that Spirit. If you've never taken on that name in the waters of baptism, we'll baptize you in the name of Jesus before you leave this morning. Oh, greater is he that's in you. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord forever. And every Jesus Christ is Lord forever. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess. Jesus Christ.